So thanks all for joining uh, me. I uh, really look forward to giving this talk. It, it's a short talk uh, with, uh, in comparison to many of the other talks I give on motivational interviewing. Um, and, and we're going to really focus on, on strategies uh, for youth using cannabis. And I, uh, I do hope to make it, uh, take advantage of the chat, but, but the way I'm uh, sharing the screen that if you can, um, uh, you, can, you can enter your chat comments and then uh, when I, and I'll be asking for you to enter some, some, some things into the chat box in certain places uh, and, and then um, our meeting org organizers can just jump in and, and share that information with me and I, 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 let's see how that goes. Um, it seems like I was having some screen problems when I was sharing it a little differently. So, so we'll try this. Um, and thanks for your patience as always as we uh, do these things over Zoom. So just uh, a couple of credits, of course, uh, the, the first credit there uh, is to a, a great textbook, Motivational Interviewing, Helping People Change, and then also some others who've done work in the area and uh, some mentors of mine in the area of motivational interviewing. Um, I, uh, um, just a little about myself, I'm, uh, I'm a psychiatrist with DMH in juvenile justice. Uh, I'm also, so I'm a child and adolescent as well as an addiction psychiatrist. Um, and uh, I also do some work with ACAP. I'm on their substance use disorders committee and uh, do national trainings with ACAP uh, on motivational interviewing. So I, I imagine many of you are coming to this, um, uh, this session with some uh, background in motivational interviewing. And if that's not the case, uh, I still think um, uh, the, some of the strategies we'll discuss um, may be helpful, and you'll also learn a bit about motivational interviewing that I hope will inspire you to uh, learn more. So um, briefly, motivational interviewing is collaborative, it's non-judgmental, it's uh, empathic, compassionate, client-centered, evocative, guiding, it's focused on emphasizing autonomy and ideal for ambivalence. So when you're specifically talking about cannabis use, I think that, that many of these things that describe motivational interviewing um, are uh, may, may, may be a bit more challenging to keep in mind, uh, such as, for example, um, if you have a, a particular stance or a particular idea about what the role of cannabis use might be, what risks it might be introducing to the client you're working with. Um, sometimes that non-judgmental stance uh, can be difficult to hold. The, uh, the other thing that we'll talk quite a bit about today is the notion of, of motivational interviewing being a guiding uh, approach. Uh, you're not directing, you're not, sort of, you're, not, you're not in a position that you're telling them what to do, nor are you following their lead and just letting them kind of take you on a journey of uh, their experience, but rather you're acting as a guide. You do bring, uh, you bring your expertise and uh, the client you're working with brings their expertise and uh, together you are collaborating to solve a problem. And many times, uh, you know, uh, determining together what that problem is, uh, is where you begin your work uh, out of necessity. And it's, all, and, and it's ideal for ambivalence. Uh, there are some challenges in, an, in, in your approach when someone's not coming to you. Um, uh, motivational interviewing is a little bit easier, I mean to say, when someone's coming to you with ambivalence, when someone already feels two ways about something. Briefly, the, the components of MI um, uh, are this, the, the spirit of motivational interviewing, the skills that are a part of motivational interviewing, and the strategy. 
I'll quickly review the, the, the bottom portions of that pyramid, the spirit and skills, and then end, uh, and then we'll spend the majority of the time talking about strategy. A word on spirit. Uh, what I'll say about it is that uh, the spirit of motivational interviewing, uh, which is very much aligned with kind of what motivational interviewing is that I showed you on the previous slide, is, um, is, is an, a crucial part uh, to MI. It actually didn't exist in the kind of earliest versions and the, the earliest publications um, uh, that uh, Miller and Rowling put out about motivational interviewing. And I think that it, MI was criticized by some as being like verbal judo or kind of like a way of tricking someone into doing something. And that's um, really not the point. Um, really, the, there is this, this firm belief that, the, that your client um, will be able to come up with the solutions for themselves that are the best and, and most likely to get them to achieve their goals. Um, you may have your own ideas about what they ought to do or what they should do that might get them there. However, you, you, have, you, you maintain that sense of what that thing is that they, that they ought to do um, uh, as your own idea that might very well be wrong and might not take into account something that's very important about their lives. Um, in that way, these, these, I, these notions of evocation, you know, getting the information out of the person you're working with and partnering with them, uh, accepting them for who they are and what they're bringing to the table um, and, and, and having genuine compassion for them and, and believing in them. Um, that without this spirit, these skills and strategy can feel a little bit um, formulaic uh, or, or, or won't necessarily feel as, as much of a natural conversation as MI should. So the skills, and for those of you with a background in MI, you'll remember this as the ORS uh, acronym. Right? ORS standing for some of the uh, some of the for the skills, uh, op asking open-ended questions, uh, providing affirmations. So that's when you you catch a value in something that they're saying, um, identifying that someone cares about their health, that someone really values uh, friendship, really values time with friends. Um, values creativity, values independence. So it's, it's not always like cheerleading or sort of saying you're great at this, you impress me with this, although those can be affirmations as well. Affirmations are also um, capturing someone's values uh, that, that can help them feel heard. And, and if they see you reflecting those values, it not only uh, remind, you know, lets them know that you, that you value them, but also that uh, it strengthens the values that they already hold that they already hold and is a is a is a is a important strength-based client-centered approach or, or strategy to use skill to use um, uh, to to live up to those ideas reflections are um, the bread and butter of mi um, a, a good motivational interviewing conversation um, has many more reflections than it has questions um, this is uh, sort of perhaps um, uh, that's what separates it from and makes it feels more conversational relative to like um, a, an interrogation. Uh, summaries, of course, a collection of reflections and are particularly useful for that guiding aspect of MI. Someone gives you a bunch of information about the way they're using cannabis, cannabis the effects that it has had on their life, the problems that it's caused, even if those problems to that client feel very external. When you reflect that back to them in a summary, um, it helps guide your conversation and helps you come at, at some, uh, at a, at, it helps you focus and decide where you're going together. And then this last skill 
isn't always included in the ORS skills, uh, as you can imagine, because it's really ORS plus I in the way that I've written it down here. And that I is, 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 the, is how in MI, or how you uh, take the MI spirit to provide information and to give it advice. And I think that that's particularly important when you're talking about cannabis use, because uh, there is a lot of misinformation out there. Um, the cannabis industry has been very effective at uh, distributing sort of the, um, uh, all the pros without the cons, if you will, or um, providing information or even just you know, um, uh, advertising marijuana in a way that makes it seem exciting and harmless uh, and, uh, or, or minimizing whatever harms might be um, and, and follows many of the same um, uh, points in the playbook for big tobacco. Um, and I'll, I'll share with you a little bit more about um, resources that kind of can compare, compare the marketing strategies of cannabis and big tobacco, which might be useful for you in your conversation with clients in a little bit. So how do you, um, when you're working with someone who, who may, may be uninformed, poorly informed, or misinformed about the harms or risk, how do you give them that information in a way that still maintains that collaborative approach, that partnership, that respects them as the expert in their own experience, even though you're bringing in this own expertise. And here, here's the strategy. You first elicit knowledge and their permission to give them the feedback, the advice, the information. You then provide them that information, and then you elicit feedback back from them. So how was that? Uh, now that I provide that, what do, you, what do you think? How does that change your thinking? So to get into some specific examples. You're informing and advise some, uh, advising someone, uh, you might start out by saying, well, what do you know about the risks of marijuana use? And that's a really important question um, because you don't wanna start telling them things they already know. You may be surprised by what they already know about the risks or the potential harms. And it might be that they know what they are, but they don't believe them. And that's very different than not, not knowing what they are or only knowing some of them. Or maybe they know some of the risks that are perhaps related to uh, short-term memory, but they don't know the risks related to it, uh, you know, the, the, the well-established research that shows that it worsens episodes of bipolar disorder, for example. So something that may be particularly more uh, relevant to their mental health problem. And then you ask, may I share some, some, some information or some more information with you about the risks of marijuana? And, and I guess one question that sometimes comes up is, is what if they say no? Uh, and, and given that this is a partnership and you are guiding when someone is not ready to go somewhere with you, you don't go there and you go to another part of their life. You do more values and goals exploration and you come to this uh, when they can. So if they say no, say, okay, that's, that's fine. I, I want to make this time um, as collaborative and as useful for you as possible. And if that's not something you want to talk about today, we won't. I hope that in another point in the future, we can talk about it. There you are kind of just leaving the door open but let's move on and talk about something else today. Uh, and then that's it. So how do you inform them or where do you give them information? Do you, uh, or perhaps you're well, uh, well read on the subject, perhaps you know a lot about it and you can give them information in a way that's very compelling. Um, it, it's generally advisable to have something you could show them. Um, and here are just a few resources um, uh, that you could um, that I encourage you to explore if you're not familiar with them already. So drugabuse.gov and teens.drugabuse.gov are, of course, um, uh, uh, produced by NIDA in collaboration with others. Um, so uh, federal information, 
about um, marijuana use, its impacts. Um, the, the website's pretty easy to use, pretty nice, available English and Spanish um, uh, for many of the resources. Learn about SAM.org is uh, SAM starts for Smart Approaches to Marijuana, and it's an advocacy organization that advocates against the legalization of marijuana in favor of decriminalization. Um, won't get into that, it's a whole other subject, uh, though I, they, they have a lot of really good resources um, dismissing some of the common myths about marijuana, such as um, you may have heard uh, people claiming that uh, legalization of marijuana reduces opioid deaths. Um, and, and they really get into the detail about some of those common misconceptions that on a policy level, you may hear your patients even talking about when they're talk talking about sort of uh, why it's a good thing. And, and that's really them just kind of buying into the, um, uh, the marketing culture that's been given to them by, the, by, the, by, by big cannabis in, in many cases. And then finally, marijuana report. Oh, and I, I have a typo there. It should be marijuana report, not marijuana report. That makes no sense. Um, so, uh, which, which is similar to learn about Sam that there it's, he it's heavy on the research. Um, and if you want to jump into it and educate yourself, it's a great place to go. So as an example, I might show, um, uh, after talking to a patient about it and going into, uh, you know, starting with that, eliciting their prior knowledge, um, asking, uh, if I can give them some more information, I might do something like this. This is a publication from NIDA. It's available on those, um, uh, the drugabuse.gov website that I just uh, had up there. And it's not, it's not a long booklet, but, it's a but it is a longer booklet. So if it was something, and you can order them for free, I think up to 30 or something or more if you contact them. Something you could hand um, a client or a patient um, and, or a family member and uh, let them review it and let them know you're going to talk about it next time. Or even you know, go through a particular page that's particularly relevant um, and, and then, and then, uh, and, and read it together. Here's another, uh, document you could use. So this is like a one page document from the addiction technology transfer network that, uh, talks about marijuana's effects on the body. Um, it's, uh, it, it gives you a few different talking points, um, and just something you can review together. You see there, uh, towards, you know, the bottom right hand corner, um, uh, associated with mental health disorders, such as depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts among adolescents. Uh, we'll get more into that in a little bit. Um, but gives you just something that's pretty quick to go over uh, that can introduce some new ideas or reinforce some things they may have already heard about the risks of uh, cannabis. So this is a slide that you can download free from the internet from the National Academy of Sciences. Um, there's the website there. And this um, is a summary of the research as of 2017, so fairly recent on the psychosocial impacts of marijuana. Um, so I'll point to the third bullet point in particular. Uh, cannabis use during adolescence is related to impairments in subsequent academic achievement and education, employment and income, social relationships and social roles. Um, oh, and then above that too, uh, highlighting that there are impairments in cognitive domains of learning, memory and attention in individuals who have uh, stop smoking cannabis. Again, emphasizing that there might be some risk, that there appears to be some risk of using cannabis during, um, and, uh, uh, during crucial parts of development, such as adolescence, that can lead to some long-term effects. And, and I, I, particularly for your, your very savvy clients, like this is a great place to go because the language is very carefully written. You know, relatively little research has been done on marijuana. There's still lots of questions. Uh, and being honest about what the evidence shows is also crucial. Um, and, and, and that's what you can do when you, when you go to some of these trusted resources. Here's um, 
a, a slide from the same source that you can show them about mental health. And when I talk about kind of this being balanced information and as accurate as possible, like look at the second bullet point, for example. While the first bullet point points to the link between the development of schizophrenia in those who are genetically predisposed, as well as other psychoses, the second link says that there actually might be some benefit. Some of the more recent studies of like uh, cannabidiol, for example, uh, haven't necessarily sort of shown this to be true. However, there is possibly something there. And this usually opens up a conversation about, you know, if, if you're hearing from youth about sort of the medical aspects of it, um, you know, you can have a more honest conversation about, you know, yes, there, is, there, there are promising compounds here, although we, we know relatively little. And we also know, for example, that, um, uh, that for individuals who have bipolar disorder, and this is the third, the bullet point third from the bottom, cannabis use might be linked to greater symptoms of bipolar than non-users. Um, and then the bottom one, it can be, um, it, it is linked to developing social anxiety disorder. If you're working with a client who struggles with social anxiety, and they're telling you that, that they need cannabis to be able to interact socially, that's a very challenging situation, which I imagine many of you have had. Um, and and you know, the data is pretty clear that heavier use, particularly of high potency THC, actually increases social anxiety symptoms. Um, so while that can be a challenging issue to confront, it's important to have some uh, you know, a data or a trusted source to back you up, at least to introduce the idea, even if it's something they're not ready to accept. So then you've, you've shared that information, whichever you, short, you share. It, it should be short, it should be relatively straightforward, you sh it should be focused. Then you follow up. What do you think about the information I just shared with you? Uh, how does what we just reviewed change how you think about weed? Um, and uh, let's see, I guess I wanna pause there. Um, imagine you have essentially done that uh, and you get to this point. And you're asking them, you've shared this resource with them, something you wanted to educate them on based on what they were bringing to you already. And you ask them this question, what do you think about the information I just shared with you? Or how does what we review, reviewed change how you think about weed? Um, what might they say in response? Or have you been in the situation where you gave this advice, you provided this information, and, uh, um, and then what happened? What did the client say back to you? Uh, I'm curious if, if you all are willing to share. So to start with the, uh, the I don't know, um, it, when, when there's an I don't know uh, response, um, it, it often is helpful to clarify. Uh, you know, it's like, um, yeah, it's, it's it, and first validate. It's hard to know what to think when you first hear um, this information like this. And I'm, I'm curious if, if you could expand on that, that I don't know a little bit. Is it a kind of like, I don't know, I, I don't know? Or is it an I don't know, like, I don't really want to talk about it with you. Is it an I don't know, um, like uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm confused by it, uh, you know, sort of like give them, and, and you can give them lots of examples and, and hope that they go somewhere with it. Uh, and then the second, uh, and, and then if, if they can pick one of those, then that gives you some follow-up questions or some, some additional ways you can reflect back sort of their feelings, you know, if it's confusion. It's like, it, it's, um, so if you can, it, uh, tell, tell me more about that confusion. Can you elaborate on, on what's confusing about it? Or, um, or how, can you, can you tell me a little bit about how it's different than what you thought about, about marijuana before? Um, uh, you can ask like, how much they believe it. And then, and then if they say, you know, even trying to get them to ask on a percentage, like how much, you know, given I've, I've showed you that there are some harms, how much do you think, you know, or what do you think the chances that it harms you? Like a really good chance or not a very good chance. And if they say, oh, you know, not a very good chance, you say, well, okay, 
Like that's not nothing. Why did you say not a very good chance? Be one way to follow up. Or, or another question, uh, the other comment that came up is, um, it's not a drug, it helps me with concentration. I mean, a, a lot of things there, right? And, and what, where I would generally go with that is, is that um, what's is, is following up, like what's really important to you is that you have something that helps you concentrate and helps you focus, if, if that's what marijuana does for. Um, and, and, and you might say, and I, and I hear that that's what marijuana does. Are there other things that it does, either based on what I showed you just now or, or things you already know um, uh, that aren't as helpful? Um, and, or what are the, the things that it does other than what I just showed you that are as helpful, right? So we're remembering to keep your questions open. Uh, and, and hopefully that yields us some information. Again, um, many cases, the conversation may stop here. It may end. They may not be willing to keep going. And one of the important things to remember about MI is oftentimes this information is a, giving information in this way is about planting seeds. Um, and, and you have to wait for them to grow. Um, to, continuing to develop your relationship with, with, a, with a client after you've shared this information is how you grow this. Um, it, it, you know, as, your, as, you can, as you develop rapport and work on them with, other, work, uh, with them towards other goals, uh, the, then the information that you've given them about marijuana may, may become uh, more, more fruitful. Uh, and um, it, it's, it's, a, it's something that you generally have to take on faith and it, it, turn, it has you turning back to that notion of the spirit of MI. Um, it's, it's different than sort of calling someone pre-contemplative and then moving on uh, because you, are, you, you, you still have in mind of where you want to guide them um, and you intend to come back to it. And so the way, if, if they're kind of sticking with I don't know and not giving you any more information, sort of no matter how you reflect their feeling or reflect what you're, what you're seeing, then you can, um, uh, then you can go ahead and and say, you know what, um, I, I I'm 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 just getting the sense that this isn't uh, necessarily something you really want to get into right now. A few more great comments in the chat if you'd like to take a look. It's not addictive. It's not a drug. It's legal. It relaxes me. Great. Uh, it makes me feel better. It takes away the bad and helps numb my feelings. Um, great. So so. And for each of those comments, you know, um, uh, in this, in uh, using your MI skills to reflect back uh, and try to evoke um, uh, and try to be evocative. So, like, it makes me feel better. Uh, a selective reflection there, and also help numbing my feelings, would be emphasizing how important it is to them to feel better and how they're struggling to manage unpleasant feelings and uncomfortable feelings. Um, that that's, in that case, that's really the issue there. Um, and, and, it's, and it's hard, you know, um, uh, and, and again, acknowledging those are things that marijuana may, uh, may do for you. And I'm wondering, you know, um, even without taking that away, what are, what are some of the side effects? Um, what are some of the, the other less helpful effects? And if, and if that gets you nowhere, like I said before, it's okay to back away, right? You really are working with them together, even, you know, even if you're guiding. I, I tend to get surprised when I'm in these situations and I, and I ask questions in that way, um, uh, how, how frequently it turns to, to, uh, to a recognition of some of the problems. Another question um, that is often very helpful when you know, they're saying, there's, you know, literally it does nothing bad for me, is asking them if they know anyone. Has, has, anyone, has anyone in your family or anyone you know, anyone close to you um, ever used what you thought was too much marijuana and what did it do to them? Um, and, and again, not always fruitful, um, but, but sometimes it can. 
Some of the other issues, uh, uh, like it's not a drug, it's legal, it relaxes me. And I say, okay, well, maybe we're just, you know, we can use a different term uh, uh, if that's helpful for you. Um, when you say it's not a drug, um, you're, saying, uh, you're saying it's not, it's not illegal. Um, it's like, yes, of course, it's not, it's not illegal, you know, it's, it, and, and it's something that you, that you, that you take that makes you feel different. Um, that's, and you saying like, um, does, does that make it seem different than a, than a drug, you know, sort of like asking questions and sort of trying to understand kind of like what their concern around, around drug is. And, and sometimes that's just a matter of semantics and you're, and, and if they're saying like, yeah, like, uh, okay, <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, we might be meaning something different by drug. Um, uh, right, of course, is anything I, I would prescribe as a psychiatrist, for example, would be a drug. But but you're not trying to argue with them, right? You're not trying to convince them that it is a drug. You're trying to sort of hear them saying, oh, you know, I hear you saying it's something that is helpful for you. Um, and and this, it's not addictive. Um, and what I would say about that is like, oh, that that's interesting. And, and you could say, you know, and I hear that a lot. Um, I'd be curious maybe next time if I could show you some more information about what we know about the addictive properties of marijuana. Um, and they might be like, you know, whatever. Um, and whatever is a yes, right? It's not really a no. And, and you kind of go back at it the same way. And, and with a light touch generally, because it's often information that people don't want to hear um, uh, or, or aren't ready to hear. And, um, and, and so here's another one. It's not addictive. I can stop anytime I wanted to. Again, selectively reflecting that they are asserting in that statement that they have control. So it's like, if you wanted to stop you are confident that you, you might reflect back to them. If you wanted to stop, you are confident that you could stop at any time. When's the last time that you stopped using and for how long, right? So reflect back to them what they said, ask them a question, find out about a time in the past when they didn't use, um, when they compare it to meth or other drugs. Yeah, and, and if that's the case, you know, say, you know, you, you would identify, you know, what value are they, are they, are they, uh, um, illustrating when they say that they're saying that they care about like they're like if they're using it in place of other substances you know acknowledging that they're doing that or that um, that they really do care about their health and they're and they're you're clearly trying to make the best choices and you're not out there doing things that you know are going to cause you significant harm and just reflecting that back um, uh, sort of are all ways of this kind of selective reflection, which, you know, I'm glad these examples came up because I wanted to kind of illustrate for you how you would use these skills of reflection, open-ended questions to continue to evoke um, uh, uh, information, to be evocative. Let's see. Let me move on here. Those are great comments. Thank you very much. Um, so again, how do you inform and advise and motivation with a motivational interviewing approach? You elicit Provide, elicit, elicit knowledge and permission, provide information and elicit the feedback. So now strategy. The overall strategy of motivational interviewing is to maximize change talk and decrease sustained talk. Generally speaking, you're hearing change talk throughout an interview or a conversation. Um, and you're, you're also inevitably hearing sustained talk. Uh, the way you respond uh, ought to be strategically employed to maximize the amount of change talk you're getting and decrease the amount of sustained talk. Today, I'm really gonna focus on maximizing the change talk rather than how you deal with the sustained talk uh, because generally the, like, some, the, the, most, uh, the, the most obvious or sort of most straightforward strategy for dealing with sustained talk is, is virtually ignoring it or acknowledging it without amplifying it. Change talk, of course, meaning any talk that favors movement towards the desired change and any, any talk that questions the status quo. 
Um, sometimes when you're, if you're trying to identify or listen for change talk in a conversation, um, there are different kinds of change talk um, that reflect desire, the desire to change, the ability to change, reasons to change, and need to change. And what you see on this slide are the, the kind of language that you'll hear that's associated with these aspects of change. Um, the, these, uh, the DARN uh, acronym reflects the preparatory types of change talk. And then there's another kind of change talk, which is like when someone is approaching a bit closer uh, to actually making a change. And that we call the mobilizing change talk, which is CAT. So change talk in general uh, can be, uh, you, can, you can remind yourself of how to listen for it and just by remembering the acronym DARN CAT. Uh, and CAT stands for commitment. So what is your intention? You're making a decision. You promise to do something. Uh, activation is the things that you're doing or willing to do or preparing to do to make the change. And then taking steps, actually having taken that change, uh, going about uh, carrying out that plan that you set up for yourself. And this, I, I throw up, I mentioned before, sort of the common use of the word pre-contemplative. Um, formally, MI, or, or at least kind of the way it's, it's taught by Millers and Rolnick and many others, doesn't really include the language of pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, only because um, it, it seems it's um, when, if you start to conceptualize people in stages, uh, sometimes you can, you can infer that they're stuck in a stage um, whereas as the idea is really you're constantly making an effort to evoke the uh, as you see on the, the lower uh, lower left hand side of the hill the desire the reason the uh, desire ability uh, reasons and need to change trying to evoke that preparatory change talk and then it feels in a conversation like you're kind of cresting a hill and on your way down the hill towards the change is when you're hearing things like commitment, activation, taking steps. And you can imagine your role as a guide is very different in the preparatory change talk phase uh, than it is in the mobilizing change talk phase. Sustained talk, of course, is the other side of ambivalence. Um, I wrote here, beware of pro-con-less. Pro-con-less can be a very concrete way to talk about sort of like why you might want to do something. Generally speaking, I only recommend doing pro-con lists and a motivational interviewing approach when someone is close to change. So to go back, like if someone is already in that mobilizing change talk, that is a great time to make a pro-con list because pro-con lists generally help, and there's been research on this, generally help people make a change they're already thinking about and feeling pretty ready to make. Whereas if they only have a minimal level of motivation, um, you know, kind of less than a, like six out of 10 or less than a seven out of 10, um, you're actually going to reinforce the reason, their sustained talk. You're gonna reinforce the reasons that they have to not change. Um, provide validation when there's that sustained talk, but don't uh, amplify and selectively reflect. So like, that's what I was doing earlier when you gave me those examples in the chat. And I was saying, uh, you know, and, and, and someone talks like maybe comparing to other, other drugs, oh, it's not as bad as this. You know, you would, you would reflect that, you know, you're making, you're already making changes or you're already making choices um, uh, that have, um, uh, that, that have your, that, that put, uh, uh, um, that uh, then value your own health, right, as an example. So how do you evoke change talk? What, what, is sort of, what strategies are there to get someone to be more evocative who's not, um, uh, who, who may not sort of be seeing or having or coming forward with any reasons to change? I'll just go through a few of these strategies and if, and if you 
uh, I encourage you to try them out um, and, and see what they yield. And, and again, be prepared to abandon them and sort of respond to the client you have in front of you. And, and if it feels natural and feels like a conversation, great. And if not, you know, say, well, you know, just, you know, you can move on and, and just, you know, say like, oh, that's not really something that's, you know, really getting us or anywhere. Let's, let's talk about something else. Um, so evocative questions are, um, are things that I've been kind of like throwing out there, but, but they, they get at the darns and the cats that I was talking about before. You know, why would you want to make a change to your marijuana use? How might you go about it in order to succeed? What are the three best reasons for you to change your marijuana use? And sometimes you might be asking about stopping. Sometimes you might be asking about using less. Sometimes you might be talking about using less potent varieties. Um, so, so that's how um, uh, harm reduction, uh, if that's your approach, might fit in. Um, or, you know, again, sort of how we're doing this in mental health. And when you're thinking about um, how their substance use impacts our mental health system, their mental health symptoms, you know, you might be talking about it in, in light of that. You know, um, maybe you've arrived at a point where someone recognizes that in certain instances, marijuana helps their symptoms and in other instances, marijuana tends to harm their symptoms. So like they get extremely irritable as a result of the withdrawal, or if they don't have it, they can't sleep. So there's a kind of dependence there. Um, and, and, and when you start talking like that, you're already trafficking in ambivalence, which is very good. So how important is it for you to change? Um, it, is it for you to change how much you smoke? Um, and then getting to the cat steps, the commitment activation taking steps. So what do you think you'll do next? What might your next steps be? What do you think you need to do in order to succeed? Um, uh, and uh, which again also gets an ability, but sort of like some of these questions, of course, evoke all of these things. Selective reflections. So here's an example. You might hear someone say, sure, I try to be healthy, but I'm 16. I can get away with some bad habits now. I know I'll stop when I'm older. Um, you know, you might reflect back at them. You consider smoking weed a habit. Being healthy is important to you and you don't see yourself smoking weed forever. Um, and uh, uh, you care about your health and wouldn't continue to do something that you know is harmful. On the one hand, uh, you're okay with having a bad habit now and it's not something you see yourself doing when you were older. Notice these are reflections, right? They are statements. They're not questions. They're not sort of like, well, what would you do when you're older? Or tell me about why you, you know, or why wouldn't you smoke when you're older? They're, they're statements that generally encourage additional conversation or, or additional explanation or elaboration from your client. Um, it's what, what makes reflections powerful, again, is that it makes your interaction a conversation rather than uh, an interrogation. Looking forward and looking back is something that's really quite useful. Um, uh, so what was it like before, your uh, before you started using weed on a daily basis or before you used every day? How are things different then? How are they better? Um, one thing that often comes out of that is actually that they, they tended, they may have liked the high that they got from marijuana better before they were a daily user than since they became a daily user. Um, and that is a great place to start with someone who hasn't yet developed a lot of ambivalence. Um, because it's, it's um, developing that can often get you, uh, can get them kind of on their own to want to take uh, a, a tolerance break, right? And, and you can, you know, if they're not already describing it that way, you can introduce that language, right? Oh yeah, you've developed a tolerance, you know, after you use any substance for a long enough time, uh, the way it affects your brain changes a lot. Um, uh, if you, um, and, and so uh, some people, take tolerance breaks, you know, you can, you can even introduce that, right? Because sort of being able to stop for a period of time um, and whether even they have that ability might not even be something that's known. 
Um, the uh, looking forward, what might happen um, if things continue as they are? Um, so like if things just stayed the way they are, what would happen? If you were 100% successful in quitting, uh, what would be different about your life? And how would, you, how would you like your life to be five years from now? All of these questions, things you can try, um, I think, I hope it goes without saying that you're using these in situations in which it's going to seem natural. Um, trying them out if they're not kind of the kinds of questions you're typically using, um, I think is a good thing to do. Uh, so just be prepared for it to, to not work out and learn from, from how things went. Change rulers. Um, these, if used too much, uh, start to, um, uh, may make your client feel uncomfortable. Um, when used just the right amount, are extraordinarily effective. Um, once you've developed some ambivalence or know that there's some there or suspect that there's some there, even though even there that they've told you, so you I might say like this for someone with a small amount of, of de, a very small desire to change or very little ambivalence, I would say, okay, so I, I, just, I got a funny question for you. Just on a scale from zero to 10, um, how important would it be for you to, to smoke less weed? And, and oftentimes the people who've basically not given you everything, or, or I should say sometimes, who've given you no indication they have any desire to change, might actually come back at you with like a one or a two instead of a zero. And if they say zero, you reflect back, this is not something that's important to you right now. Clearly you can tell because of all the questions I'm asking you that it's important to me. Uh, but I really, wanna, I, I really wanna work together, so let's focus on something we can both agree on. And then you move on, right? That's it. Um, but if they give you a one or a two, um, then, uh, if they give you a one or a two, then you say, oh, great. Uh, um, why not a zero? Um, and then for desire on a scale from zero to 10, how much do you want to change, uh, for ability on a scale from zero to 10? How confident are you that you could do it? Commitment on a scale from zero to 10, how committed are you? So these are different ways you can ask the change ruler question, but I would avoid asking how ready are you to make a change? And the reason is because when you're asking someone how ready you are, you don't really know if you're getting at their desire, their ability, their reasons, or their need. Um, good follow-up questions, like I've been alluding to, are like once they give you a number, they say, oh, I'm a, I'm a six, or they say I'm a four, like I have there under need on the bullet points. Um, you, know, you would say to them, why are you a four and not a two? And then they're gonna give you all change talk, right? Because the thing that differentiates them from a two and a four is change talk. What might, and then you might say, well, what might happen that could move you to a six? And now they're going to tell you like, well, I have to really think that it actually like, you know, did have something to do with my irritability or, um, you know, something along those lines. And it often gives you an indication of where you might go next with your education or advice. Uh, finally, exploring goals and values, particular, particularly with young people, can be a really useful activity. And uh, perhaps you're already familiar with uh, values card sorts, which is an activity that's great, uh, I think, for, for transitional age youth and, and adolescents. Um, and then asking questions in the right setting, sort of with the right rapport established, those are important caveats. How does marijuana fit in with your goals and values? Does marijuana help you achieve your goals? Does it interfere with them? Or is it irrelevant, right? You know, again, there you are keeping an open mind um, to what the role of marijuana might be. And you might be wrong. It might not play as big a role in their mental health problems as, as you imagine that it might. Um, here is just an example of what a values card sort looks like. This is from motivationalinterviewing.org. Google values card sorts. It tends to be one of the first few things that comes up. And as you see, it's just like multiple pages that you print out, cut up, 
and then they they um, they create categories. You know, uh, very important to me, important to me, not important to me, and then they take all the values that are on these cards. It's like nine pages worth of cards, and then they they put them in those categories. And then once you've done that, um, you not only understand your client better, um, have a great place from which to do goal setting, but also have a great place from which to relate the various goal the various uh, areas in which you might want to guide them in your advice. Um, this is uh, the MI process is uh, to emphasize something I've been saying all along that that what kind, the kind of language that you use when you're um, when you're employing MI is very different based on where you are with the client and and that's I mean you already know that because you already know that your first goal when you're entering into a therapeutic relationship is to engage to, to establish that rapport to engage that patient then you're going to focus try to understand what the chief complaint what the problem is where you're going with this and then you and then you want to be in that evoking stage you can't kind of do one stage without be, having done the one before but you're also still doing some of the stage that's before while you're working on the last thing in other words in the planning stage you're still doing some evocation and possibly even some focusing um, just sort of a, to emphasize kind of that this is a process and it's and it's cyclical you're constantly repeating these processes Depending on how comfortable you are with motivational interviewing, it might be a great way to establish rapport with your patients when done in certain ways. Uh, and you might start your evaluation with it or your visit and end your visit with it. And that's kind of a nice way to, to increase your comfort with it and also sort of build it into whatever you're already doing if you're relatively new to MI. Those of you that have been doing it for a while that feel very comfortable might find that it actually looks like this, right? That, that motivational interviewing is not antithetical to other uh, to, to gathering information, to giving advice and all the other parts of your interview, but it's an approach that you can bring to uh, whatever it is that you're doing. So I have a, a video um, sample, and um, it's, it's a pretty good example that you'll hear in this video. He describes some of what he's doing. He's talking to a teen about cannabis use. Um, and and you know, just he's very much in the engaging process, but he's able to jump right into to marijuana use. Um, I was just reflecting on the video and I, I think um, I'm curious what other comments they have, uh, you know, and there was one comment that came in in the chat that there's limited eye contact from the client. And I think that's true early on and it actually improved as the time wore on. And I think that, you know, that his approach to talking to youth about substances uh, in a way that is, um, I think, not judgmental in the way that that young man may have been expecting it to be, which was responsible for some of that early uncomfortable laughter and such. Um, that actually seemed to decrease as, as the interview wore on, uh, I think as a consequence of, of that approach. Um, he was able to get a lot of information without asking the typical kinds of like, you know, uh, interrogation or like in assessment type questions. Uh, and he, um, um, I think, did a really nice job establishing rapport, talking about what might have been a very difficult subject. And he might not have heard about the other substance use, uh, had his response to uh, history cannabis use been very, very different. Um, so I, I, and I, I hope that uh, illustrated kind of some of some of the ways that the, the skills of MI are used and also the, the his strategic use of those skills um, uh, to continue to evoke information from someone who's who may not have really a ton of ambivalence. Again, he's only there uh, kind of because he got caught. Um, although like you're, you're already hearing where the therapist might be going with it. Um, and uh, um, uh, and, and sort of how he can use that information to then maybe maybe share additional information about marijuana and understand where to go from there. Um, 
so, so thank you all for uh, being here today. Um, here's some websites uh, that I've got up on this slide, which I believe you all have access to the slides um, uh, that I, some of which I mentioned, that you can continue to get information about motivational interviewing. Of course, DMH does trainings in motivational interviewing. Well, I think I'll jump off. Um, thanks again for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure to speak with you. Sorry it was so short. <laughs>